Ashley McDonough Turnipseed, head volleyball coach at Centenary College of Louisiana and writer for CoachByChrist.com, joins the show today to talk about what it means to follow God's plan for our lives. Throughout our conversation today, we touch on many things like her conversion to Christianity from being agnostic, her battle with mental mental and physical health, and why she continues to write articles and give resources for athletes, for coaches, and anyone that is a Christian in today's sports culture. This conversation was so good, and she continuously just reminded me of God's grace in our lives. In our time together, this quote comes up a couple of times, faith is the first step in success. So what I want you to do today as you listen is to just let that sink into your mind, because without faith, we are destined for failure. That goes for so many things, so many things, especially our relationship with God. But I mean, we can have faith in our teammates, in our coaches, parents, anyone really. So listen out as our discussion today really helps anyone that listens. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today we have on Coach Ashley. First of all, Coach, uh, I don't I don't know how you have uh, the time of the day that you do uh, for everything that you're involved in. Obviously, you have a family, uh, you, co- you coach at the collegiate level, and you recently started a blog and website called uh, coachbychrist.com. And I mean, you do so much more. You're involved in scuba diving too. Like, I don't, I don't know how you find the time, but how do you find the time for it all? That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, a lot of Excel spreadsheets, working on scheduling. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing is just, you, yeah, thank God for, for Excel and whoever it was that was the programmer behind that glorious <laughs> piece of art. But yeah, Excel spreadsheets, uh, a lot of calendars, a lot of sticky notes, a lot of prioritization yeah <laughs> that's that's funny but yeah so today i really want to discuss with you uh on this topic of following god's plan for our lives um whether you're, you know you're still an athlete or you're a coach like you are or you're just going through throughout life and you really don't know god what god's plan is for you so first of all i wanted to ask you right off the bat how have you followed god's plan for your life whether that be through coaching through parenting or even scuba diving I mean, the short answer is that I haven't, to be honest mm. with you. Like from from birth to now, um, I think I probably spent more years not than otherwise. Um, but everybody has a different answer and a different story. So um, I guess the it's not how you start, it's how you end. Uh, but the full answer would be that I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through seventh grade. Uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, I went to Catholic school from yeah kindergarten through seventh grade in the Chicagoland area, and then my dad got a job transfer to Houston, and when we moved to Houston, um, we kind of stopped going to church. We became you know Easter and Christmas Catholics. Isn't I think I've heard other guests on your show even say that before, and it was you know unfortunately kind of a norm, um, and that break. I think in going from a Catholic school upbringing to only going to church on two of the major holidays and starting in at a public school, it it created a separation between me and 
faith. Um, I prefer to use faith rather than religion just because I think those two get uh, intertwined, or those two words get mixed up a little too often. Um, for me, that point in which I started to stray away, it wasn't just a stray away from being a regular practicing Christian. For me, it was just a complete separation between faith and self. And so um, I went years, I mean, high school, college, after college for quite a while, identifying mostly as an agnostic. And when I lived, when, so, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here. Um, through coaching, I mean, most, and I think any coach that's listening to this, college coach especially, knows that we get moved around a lot or we tend to move around a lot career-wise and we wind up living in a bunch of different places. So for me, um, I'll kind of jump ahead to about 2018, 2019. I was coaching in Western Illinois and I had moved from, I grew up, like I said, Chicago, moved to Houston with my dad's job transfer, wound up in upstate New York coaching, then back to Illinois again, Western Illinois coaching. And so it was around that time, um, just before I got hired here at Centenary, which is in Louisiana, we're a Methodist school. Um, but, bef but while I was still in Western Illinois, it was almost like I started to kind of take a step back outside myself and really just look at what my life looked like and some of the challenges that I was facing, some of the hard, the things that it just seemed like were harder than they should have been. And I just kind of took that step back. And at that point in time, I think I was starting to regain interest in faith. I wouldn't say that I was a faithful person quite yet, but I was starting to regain interest in faith. And some things happened up in Illinois, um, just everything from my dog getting cancer to my grandmother passing away to issues with the college I was working with. Just, it just seemed like a lot of things were coming down. And so um, I got hired by Centenary in early 2019. Didn't move down here till I think the first week of April of 2019. Uh, was working remotely, looking for a place to live, all that. Before that, um, in the early earlier part of the year. And when I got here, within the very first week that an agnostic got hired by a Methodist school. I met my now husband, who's a Southern Baptist, and um, which is quite a jump from being agnostic to, oh, hi, I'm dating a Southern Baptist now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, I don't know if you can get much further apart than that. Um, but I started dating Travis at the time, and uh, I, within a few months, I was going to church with him. Still, again, interested in faith, but not a faithful person. Um, but from there, um, I think my interest just continued to kind of snowball and grow. And then I got hurt at work in August of 2019. I was running practices, hitting balls at my players like I normally would. Uh, felt my shoulder give out. Knew it was the labrum immediately. I've torn it before. I knew what it felt like. Actually, I've had seven shoulder tears. Um, so I knew what it felt like, and um, arm dropped uh, within a couple of months going through the workers' comp process, which takes forever. Um, it just, everything kept getting worse and worse and worse before I was able to get any real significant treatment. And next thing you know, um, issues with the shoulder turned into issues with the neck. And for the last three and a half years, I've gone through, well, with 
for the last three and a half years, I've been dealing with these injuries. And then finally, within a two-year stretch, I wound up having four different surgeries, three spine surgeries, and um, the shoulder repair, which fixed two labrum tears that wound up being in there, not just the one. And um, so for me, it was like I spent a good part of those three and a half years on a lot of drugs, prescribed, but on a lot of drugs, um, everything from gabapentin, which is started to come more under fire in the last couple of years, uh, just how it's overprescribed and some of the mental and effects it has and some of the things that it does to your brain from a chemical, from a chemical standpoint, from a neurological standpoint. Um, amitriptyline, which is the worst drug I've, I, I don't recommend anybody take it. If you get prescribed it, ask for something better or different or not that anything but that, um, muscle relaxers and, um, so just being on a on a variety of different medications um, for three and a half years, it really it made it really difficult to coach. It made it difficult to mentor. It made it difficult to have a regular day to function. It made it difficult to have any form of memory. One of your recent guests talked about anterograde amnesia. Uh, when I heard him say that, it just man, it triggered me because. This last fall, I was still coaching on all these medications. And, like, I would be driving to work or driving to go pick something up for lunch, and I would have no idea where I was going. I would have to pull over my car and look in my phone and look at my calendar, look at, you know, my sticky notes, my to-do list, my memory list is what I called them in my notes section of my phone. And I had to figure out what the heck I was doing because I point blank could not remember. Um forgetting my players' names, kids that were juniors, kids that I had been coaching for three years. Couldn't remember their names. I'd have to low-key pull up my phone at practice and look up the, the roster online and I'd match the faces to the names. So, like, I knew that was one of my players, but I had no, couldn't remember their name to save, you know, to save my life. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of things that uh, your other guests had, had mentioned, it really hit home with me. I mean, it was different because his was injury-induced, mine was medic, medication-induced you know, from the injury, but, um, so this last surgery was in January. So just over two months ago, I had this last one, had that last neck surgery and we're sitting in the waiting room, getting ready to go in for, to be prepped. And our pastor from church, nice man, showed up, who, who shows up at 545 or six o'clock in the morning? Your pastor does, that's who, uh, shows up and sits down and prays with me and my husband. And, um, we kind of just, you know, we're like, man, we really hope this is the last one because this is the fourth one in two years. And, uh, I'm not sure how much more I can take of this. And, um, you know, which is a whole nother story in and of itself. Um, but I just, I was at the end of my rope with it and we prayed over it and went into surgery and, the recovery initially was a little challenging, but I think any surgery recovery is, but it finally started to get better. And for the first time in three and a half years, I had no pain. Um, I was starting to be able to come off a lot of those medications. Even the uh, physician assistant uh, that works with my surgeon was pretty impressed at how fast I was able to get off the pain medications and muscle relaxers and nerve pain meds and all that stuff after this last surgery. And um, so, but in that recovery, I'm sitting at home going, you know, gosh, do I even want to coach anymore? Do I, is this anything I want to even keep doing? Like my body is telling me, dude, it's, it's time to call it. You got you to know when to throw in the flag. And so I started looking at, you know, do I want to look at uh, PhD programs? Do I want to go back to school? Do I want to 
add on to my master's degree, look at some graduate certificates? Do I want to go back to nonprofit management? Do I want to switch careers? And as I'm sitting at home looking online and all this stuff, you know, it was kind of just like this, poof, uh, comes into my head like, hey, you can still coach. You don't need to have the physical capabilities of an 18-year-old. I mean, lady, you're 40. You know, like, you know when um, to adjust, but it doesn't mean you need to call it quits. And so um, kind of just going back and tying this all together uh, to the original question is like, how has it followed God's plan? I hadn't followed God's plan until I got smacked upside the back of the head enough times to say, hey, you need to chill. You need to look at what's in front of you. Look at what I'm putting in front of you here. Um, you can use your coaching and mentoring talents, coach, in this way. And so I got online. I started a website and kind of all the thoughts that had been like bottled up and stuck medically in my head for the last three and a half years just kind of started to pour out. You know, I would say around mid-21, mid I would say that that's when I finally, maybe even a little before that, decided, like, yes, I, I am a Christian. Like, this is what I believe. I was separated, but I'm back. Um, and then, again, most recently, it was, I found a way to use the talents and use the, the skills that had been provided to me as an outlet and, and to use those skills and in, in that knowledge in a way that I can relate to a broad base uh, of people um, without necessarily being on the court and wrecking my body further. I mean, I'm still coaching. I'm still on the court, um, just not as physically involved. And I've learned to delegate and to use my younger, much younger assistant coach for that kind of stuff and to use my players more for that kind of stuff. Wow. Wow. there. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Wow. I mean, you've had such an incredible journey, you know, from, you know, being agnostic to now you're a Christian and you have this website, I mean, that vouches for Christian athletes. But I think I want to start with the nonprofit uh, side of your background. How have you, why have you been so involved in nonprofit work throughout throughout your life? And how did that even start? It's always a fun story on how that one started. So it was back, I was, at, I was a student at the University of Houston, and um, I was working, I think, at a coffee shop. Yeah, I was. I was working at a coffee shop still, and uh, barely 21 years old. Um, one of my friends had just had knee surgery, and she wanted to, but she, I mean, she was about a couple weeks out from it, but she had just relatively just had knee surgery and wanted to uh, kind of go, hang, we had plans to go hang out that night. Um, but before we could do that, she gave me a call and was like, Hey, my knee, I'm in extreme pain right now. I don't think I can drive myself to the hospital. I can't bend my knee. Uh, can you come pick me up? I, you know, I feel like they're gonna have to drain this or something, but the swelling's out of control, blah, blah, blah. So I start driving from the South Houston area out to, um, closer to the North side. And as I'm driving, there was this homeless guy on the side of the road. And this wasn't one of those, like, you know, this guy's on, not that it's my place to judge anyways, but not like this place, is not, this guy's faking it or this guy's not on drugs or anything. Like, this dude was starving. For You could tell. You could see it in his face. This man was desperate. He was starving. Um, you could just see the sadness written on this, on this man. And so I rolled down my window, and I had some of the money in my pocket that I was going to go out with that night. And I gave him a couple of bucks. And he didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him. Just handed the money out the window. 
so light turns green and remember this so it houston texas is hot right it's yeah yeah uh and this is probably july august at that point houston on the blacktop so not only is this man starving but it's got to be 110 115 degrees like on the concrete where he's standing so um i start heading towards my friend's house continue on and i just couldn't get the picture of this guy's face out of my head so i pulled over at taco bell and i picked him up a value meal and i whipped a yui and came back around and i gave it to him and he yelled at me for not wearing my seatbelt. and uh, and i was like well fine then uh you know but the the lesson that i learned in that moment was when i handed him money and i didn't acknowledge him as a person acknowledge his needs he didn't acknowledge mine and so i you know, went and got, I thought about this man further than just the shadow of a man on the side of the road looking for a couple of bucks, picked him up a cold drink, some food, and in return, he recognized me for my needs and I should have had my seatbelt on. And so, um, you know, from that moment, um, I started to kind of mobilize some of my friends and, and some young people in the local community and fortunately at the time the guy who owned the coffee shop I was working at let that be a donation hub and I started an organization back then called Helping Houston's Homeless HHH and um, over the course of about a year and a half two year period myself and a lot of volunteers a lot of regular volunteers a lot of regularly contributing local businesses uh, were able to provide over 5,000 meals to the community that lived underneath the Pierce Elevated uh, in in Houston, downtown Houston. Not even to, to go into the amount of clothing and toiletries and just all the other things, but just over 5,000 meals going once a week in about a year and a half. I mean, we were delivering um, and handing out about 100 meals a week because this encampment under the Pierce Elevated used to, at any given time, have 100 to 200 homeless people living there, staying there. So um, once I got to the point at U, at U of H where I was about to graduate, a lot of my volunteers kind of had also moved, kind of were starting to kind of move on with their life, whether it was career-wise, um, they were college students or they were high school students getting ready to graduate or, or whatever it was. Um, the organization, we kind of just dissipated and we started to go in our own individual directions. Not long after that, around 2008, um, I started working with agencies that assisted domestic violence and sexual, sexual assault survivors um, in the Houston area. And I did that for about three years, uh, yeah, till about 2011. And um, my role within those organizations was a lot of fundraising, development, uh, I wrote violence prevention curriculum. Uh, my, my degrees were were our, our, uh, in early childhood development, criminology, and business. So all over the place. Um, I'm one of those people, if I don't know about something, I go get a degree or a certification in it just because I want to know more <laughs> and learn more. So that's kind of why I'm all over the map there. But um, so I started writing violence prevention curriculum and teaching it throughout the different school districts, businesses, other nonprofits, stuff like that. And so then um, coaching was always a side gig up to that point, coaching club teams and really just using it as an outlet for fun. I mean, when you work teaching violence prevention curriculum, you know, specifically talking about like healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, uh, sexual assault, the different types of sexual assault, working 
around and with survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault. It's rewarding work, but it's very draining work and it can really weigh on you heavily. And so at the time, coaching was like my outlet for it. Like I get to go play volleyball with 13 and 14 year olds and it was just, you know, for fun. And um, eventually that became, it, that grew into its own career. But yeah, my basis for, I, I say my basis for coaching um, is nonprofit involvement because I don't think I'd be a good coach had I not had that background and, and understanding some of the issues that different people go through and, and work through. Um, and it's helped me, I think, be a better mentor for my athletes. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's has been so helpful too for for your athletes too. Because I mean, you don't just see the player in them; you see the you see the person in them and their needs and their wants. As you recently started that web the website that we talked about, CoachByChrist.com, what is your goal for the articles and the resources that you put out? I try to write stuff that's relatable to a pretty broad audience. I feel like coaching and and I'm stealing this line from one of my players, actually, so I can't take credit for this, but uh, one of my players who's an education major said to somebody else the other day that she's an education major because she believes coaching and teaching is its own form of ministry. And I was like, I mean, you're right, it is. And that's, you know, I had never really just thought about it that way before. Um, But I feel like I mean, she is right. I mean, coaching is its own form of ministry, and you have a great deal of impact and influence on the kids that are playing and competing with and for you. And so for me, if I can kind of delve into some of the issues that we face as coaches and as athletes, um, then and I can apply, it, apply faith-based principles to it, I think that I can reach a broader audience, but I can also share why I do things the way I do, and I can share empathy with my players and fellow coaches, you know, with some of the issues that we face. And I can explain through my site, through my articles, why I feel a certain way, why I do things a certain way, kind of a best practices approach, I guess. Um, Because there's a lot that our kids and coaches deal with on a regular basis. And a lot of it is stuff that we don't really talk about or bring to the surface as often as I think we should. Because once we get into that competition mode, it's X's and O's, you know. And even coaches, self-included, with the best intentions of, yeah, we're going to focus on leadership. We're going to focus on, you know, all the kumbaya. Uh, Once we get into the heat of battle, like, we stop. And so I think this is a really good way for me to constantly remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing, um, show my players and fellow coaches that I understand what they're going through, and it gives me a platform to provide a faith-based Christian approach in terms of solution to the issues that we face. Yeah, that is, that is very true. I I never thought, like, once once the game starts, I mean— kind of everything that you you talk about and train for like it's kind of thrown out the window you're kind of just like in survival mode like trying to win you know because that's what we try to do in athletics um for the majority of the time um but yeah how, how can we foster meaningful competition when when we do play but there are so many 
like I said before, so many helpful resources and articles and things like that on your website, like mental wellness, identity issues, and even bring up like the mama mentality from the late, great Kobe Bryant. What, if you could pick one topic to talk about from the, from the, for the rest of your life within Christian athletics, what would it be? I think I know the answer, but what would you say? I would say, I mean, mental health is a big one. Yeah. As a coach, mental health is a significant concern because our energy impacts and our presence impacts our athletes. And I think it's our responsibility um, to be mentors, to be teachers, uh, to be that support system. And from my personal experience, just dealing with everything that I've gone through with my injuries and all the medications and the side effects of those medications over these last few years, you know, I think that that's made me really dig deeper into it because I know what it feels like and I know what it's felt like to feel like you were just drowning and failing your athletes at the same time. You know, not being able to remember what you did the day before in detail or not being able to remember your players' names but still coach and, like, to try to mask that and hide that. Oftentimes, I think for me, it came across to my athletes as resentment and frustration and anger when it wasn't anything directed towards them. It wasn't anything they did. It was this battle that I had within myself. Like, the words were in my head of what I wanted to do and say, but my brain and my mouth... Just, they weren't working together. My brain wasn't really working at all, to be honest with you. Um, and so I think that that made me really start to think more about, like, dude, stop thinking about what you're going through. Stop thinking about you. Start thinking about others. Like I just said, I think that the way my players interpreted what I was going through, like, it, I, I, didn't, I never stopped to think about, like, how is this truly impacting them? Like, they have their own stuff going on. These are college kids, and Centenary is a huge bio-pre-med school. So my kids are mostly bio-pre-med majors. That'll, that by itself, without even being an athlete on top of it, is ridiculously stressful. And so then throw in being an athlete, then throw in a nutcase coach, you know, in, who's on meds and everything else. And I stopped paying attention to them as people for a short brief window of time and you know I know that there were reasons why I did but it doesn't make it better and so for me it's kind of like looking back at it and going okay well look you've been given all these other these second third fourth chances here like you need to use this for for the good and so for me it became a step back let's start looking more at what my players are going through what my fellow coaches are going through and how can we bring this more to the forefront you know and mental health is pretty broad so yeah a lot of my a lot of my articles have to do with mental health in one which way or another whether it's just directly going straight into it and saying let's talk about mental health or let's like next month I have an article coming out about athletic burnout or and like what impacts that or you know how do we remain set apart or like there's so many different things you can tie into mental health and so, um, yeah, I think just me, everything I've gone through and then seeing, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, looking at how that impacted my players and then trying to be more empathetic and trying to understand what they're going through and help them out more. Um, that would be the topic that I think not just I should focus on more. I think that's a topic a lot of people should focus on more. And I think more coaches, whether you're faith-based or not, I think need to focus on that more and to just really focus on seeing your kids for who they are 
and understanding what they're going through on a daily basis before it's too late. Yeah, I mean, it really leads into my next question. What responsibility does a coach or a parent or even the athlete have in seeking mental health counseling or resources or whatever it may be? Yeah, so I would say that coaches create a sense of community among their athletes um, by helping them balance out being an athlete and their schoolwork. Um, I, I personally dedicate in season 30 minute minimums standing meeting with each one of my freshmen every week in season. And so, and it doesn't matter if I've got, if I could have 12 freshmen, all right, well, you're dedicating six to 12 hours a week just doing 30 minute meetings. Like, it's worth it. it to me, that's worth it. Um, yeah. You know, I don't normally have 10 to 12 at, or freshmen each year, but um, I have before. And that's kind of my time to be able to sit and check in with them. I've had kids that just want to play cards. I have kids that just mouth vomit, you know, all the stress going on in their life. I have kids that tell me about things going on at home. I have kids telling me about, you know, team stuff. Maybe they do want to talk about volleyball. Most of the time they don't. Um, I've had kids want to sit on the floor of my office with the lights off and meditate. And I'm like, whatever, like we can do whatever you need to do right now. It's your time. You know, this is, this is our check-in time with one another. A lot of times it's, me just helping them identify resources that are available to them, whether it's on campus or off campus, um, whether it's an app that might be useful to them, whatever their issue is going on. That's, I think, how I personally do that. Um, I think parents uh, should and can provide positive reinforcement, and I think that they need to avoid putting undue stress on their kids. Sometimes I think the best intentions can have negative consequences for kids. Um, I think parents have a responsibility to help their kids uh, balance competitiveness and grit with personal identity. Um, I think that I think that kids need to be able to look in the mirror and see more than their sport looking back at them. And I think that in the AAU club culture, a lot of times that's all these kids get. They don't they're not being brought to church or not being brought to church regularly. It's not a conversation that a lot of families have at home. Um, it, you know, I think the, like I said, I think these kids just need to look in the mirror and see more than their sport. And they need to know who they are, especially as they're going into college and as they're going through college, because it's such a formative time in their lives. And even if they aren't an athlete, even if they're not going to go to school, that's not the right path for everybody. But just those years, those those age, that age of development, I think is just really important. Absolutely. And I think that's a recent article that you came out with. It was athlete identity and how that can be so corrupting for any athlete. Like it doesn't matter if you're really good or really bad. Having an identity in athletics will always leave you dissatisfied with your life and with obviously sports. But I found this quote on your homepage uh, of the website. It says, faith is the first step in success. I would love if you just talk about that and just how you can apply that to Christian athletics. So um, in general, uh, I would say that faith is the first step in success kind of gives me and my athletes like a framework to work within Mm. having faith in God should go first without saying but uh, then I would say having faith in yourself um, coaches and athletes you have to believe in yourself and your abilities and your capabilities to succeed I think two faith in the team 
and being able to trust your teammates uh, to be able to work towards a shared purpose with one another, um, whether that's your captain or your coach or anybody on a team can be a leader. You don't need a title to be a leader, but um, I think that that in- internal team leadership coming from the locker room, I think being able to use that to motivate athletes uh, to keep everybody in working towards the same thing is important. And then three, I think just having faith in the process and a lot of coaches you'll hear say like, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process, especially when you're learning the basics and the fundamentals and learning to be patient. I mean, that was pretty much my, the article I wrote, you can't microwave success. That was pretty much the entire, that's what it was all about was like, you can't, you have to trust that process. You have to know when to put one foot in front of the other. Um, at practice the other day, couple days ago uh we were doing a drill and i told the kids like look you've worked really hard the first half of practice it's tuesday we can go as a team and go eat some tacos and celebrate taco tuesday together and i'll cut practice about 20 30 minutes short since you guys worked extremely hard um you're half dead already right now on the court for the first part of practice let's go eat tacos i was like but you have to and i gave them a um, you know, a drill, we had a target we had to reach. And I said, if you reach this target, we'll cut practice early, we'll go eat tacos. And they got about halfway through it, and I stopped the timer, I said pause, and I was like, listen, I was like, you guys are so focused on the end state goal, getting the taco right now, that you're you're messing up. You're not focused on all the steps that it's taking to get to that point. I was like, when you're making tacos and you're about to have a taco Tuesday night at your own house, you're going to brown the meat or tofu in my case because I'm vegan. Um, you're going to cut the vegetables. You're going to invite friends over. You're going to set the table. You're going to pour drinks. Then you're going to eat the taco. I was like, but yeah. you can just jump straight to taco. Um, you know, this is maybe a weird analogy here, but this is something <laughs> we talked about at practice the other day. And so then I put, pushed start on the timer again. We kept going. They hit their goal. Um, way better than they had during the first half of the drill. And we all went and got tacos together. But it was like a te- one of those teachable moments here. So, yeah, faith in yourself, faith in your team, obviously faith in God, um, but and then faith in the process and knowing, like, you're going to have to put that one foot in front of the other first. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, we always talk about faith in God in athletics. I mean, in Christian athletics specifically. But yeah, having faith in the process, having faith in not only yourself but your teammates and your coaches and your I mean, your parents that you know get you to the games and or have gotten you to where you are now. But yeah, that is great advice and that's a great analogy too. I love tacos. So <laughs> it was Taco Tuesday. It just made sense. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the moment, it, in the moment, it did. It sounds weird after now that I'm talking about it on a Thursday, but. But on yeah, Tuesday, yeah. it made a lot of sense. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, but Coach, I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on today. Um, what you showed me today is how humble you are, um, even throughout your entire life, your journey. Um, you've, you've, I can tell you just come, you've come a long way. Um, and your your website now and the, the work that you do as a coach is just so inspiring to me. Um, and I really do hope all the listeners go and check out your website too. No, I appreciate you having me on today, and um, I think you're doing a really cool thing here, and I think one of the first messages I sent you was like, how old are you? Uh, Like, how are you this smart? Like, you're too young to be this smart. (laughs) So I'm impressed. I'm very impressed, and um, 
I think, I would assume, I hope, you've had one of your former professors on. So um, your professors and your coaches, I'm sure, are very proud of you the way that I know I am of a lot of my athletes that have moved on, you know, from being um, – from, from being student-athletes, and I think our goal as coaches always needs to be to send our players out into the world better than what we than how we got them, and that should be our goal for all of our kids is, you know, you get this lump of clay that their parents have already molded, obviously, into a good person, um, a good athlete to get them to this point, but then it's your job as a coach to take the reins for a short window of time and send them out even better than than how you got him here so kudos to you for being for being the the great young man <laughs> you are uh and to your coaches and parents and and support systems well thank you yeah thank you so much wow what an unbelievable conversation um for all of our listeners out there go check out coachbychrist.com uh, i will make sure to put the link in the description for that there there's just so much amazing content in there no matter what you're trying to find um and i just think Coach Ashley, again, for coming on today. Please make sure to also share this episode and subscribe to the show. It helps us uh, more than you, helps us out more than you know. But if you don't get anything else from this, just remember this. Jesus loves you, and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.